What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today in our podcast, a year and a half since companies pledged to disclose and improve their diversity metrics, we're measuring how far we've come with Just Capital's head of corporate equity, Ashley Marchand Orme. More than half of the Russell 1000 actually disclose some form of race and ethnic data about their workforce. Now that's up 23 percentage points from the last time we looked at this data. The DOJ is digging into short sellers, former SEC chairman Jay Clayton on all the markets players. Short selling is a benefit in many ways to our marketplace. It puts information into the marketplace that wouldn't otherwise be there. Not all sentiment in the marketplace can be positive. Some has to be negative. Those interviews plus is Peloton's run as an independent company almost over. And it's a mega merger Monday. Consolidation in the skies with CNBC's Phil LeBeau. Frontier and Spirit, the two airlines, low-cost carriers announcing that they have agreed to merge. This is a deal valued at $6.6 billion. It's Monday, February 7th. 2022 and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Peloton surging right now and reports that it could be bought. You can get a lot the stock a lot cheaper too. Uh, Amazon and Nike have been mentioned as potential suitors, a person familiar with the matter telling CNBC the company is not yet running a formal uh, sales process, but that doesn't mean that a bidder or bidders won't come in. Company stock has collapsed uh, in the last year. That's a pretty good word. People say decimated. I, I don't, decimated doesn't do it for that. Decimated is when you send 10 guys in and only nine come back. So that's, uh, right. so this is I don't is, know uh, why you'd want to. We need, I, we need a better word tell for me decimate. If I'm, tell me if I'm crazy. I don't think you want to own the hardware in this business, meaning you have Apple doing its thing with Fitness Plus. I think it's working to some degree. I don't know if it's if it's if it's you know killing it, if you will. But what, you know, having to having to actually manufacture these these massive devices that then, by the way, require a lot. I mean, there's a delivery issue. This right. is not these aren't like little phones that you can just you know hand off to UPS or FedEx. I, it just it's a big it's a hard business. And if in the end, by the way, so we're Peloton users. We also buy, you get a Peloton subscription because you pay for it to use the device. But I can also now look at it on an iPad yeah. and I could probably have bought myself a treadmill and or bought myself uh, uh, <laughs> a bike or whatever look, we, we have and the Peloton watch them and we, do it using somebody else's bike. So that's the part that makes it we hard. We don't even use the service. We just use the bike. Like we just use the hardware part of it. We're not signed up for the subscription stuff on any of the rest of it. Andrew, I, 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 was, I wanted to ask you about this because not knowing anything, just reading through the stories that came out this weekend, I looked at it and I thought, 
there's a whole lot of smoke here and not necessarily any fire. Maybe a lot of people kicking the tires, but are there serious talks that are really taking place on this? Or is this you just know, uh, everybody it, kind of I've circling made a around lot of phone over calls. there? I made a lot of phone calls. It is hard to, I mean, look, what I don't want to happen is to tell you that nothing is happening. And then tomorrow morning, by the way, they do have earnings this week. So I think there's been a lot of focus on the fact that there's a company that's about to announce earnings. If you were trying to pull off a transaction, boy, would you like to do it in tandem with that? Do I think there are a lot of folks that actually are genuinely kicking the tires, kicking the tires insofar as they have strategy and development groups inside their own companies that are running numbers saying, should we buy this? And by the way, have they already done this before? Yes, they all have. They all have made decks before. Should we be buying Peloton? Is this a good valuation? It's, so Yes. Is all that going on? 100%. Are they actually in talks with somebody right now? I wish I could tell you. I do not know. But There's I no think real it's... Time, um, so, Andrew, it's, it's, a, it's an exercise bike, so you can't really... You're not really kicking those. And I guess it's just a choice. You know, do you want to have a real bike or, or actually run outside? Do you want to blow that off? Or do you want to blow off riding the indoor bike? That's for me what it is. You know, which do I do I want to decide I'm not going to do on any given day? So uh, it's easier for me just to, to blow off the riding it outside. I don't need the indoor bike to avoid. That way, you, right? You see what I'm saying? If you're going to, what am I not going to? That's what, that's what, I, what I'm actually stealing. What are you not going to do today? Stealing someone's what are you joke. you going to pay not to stealing do today? Exactly. I, I was a Bill Mo you lost your boy, Bill Maher, on this whole thing. I'm sorry, Andrew. But he did say something funny where he said, I want to get back to not going to the gym again. <laughs> you get it? You know, have the gyms open so that then you, you can, you know, it's, and you don't they're go. open. You could then go, you but go. I want to get back to not going to the gym. That's right. what I want to get back to. I got to. it. Anyway. It's like an insurance policy. I, I understand. I mean, a lot of people... By the way, a lot of people have a, uh, if they're going to pay for a gym or even like a personal trainer, they do it to force themselves to go. Oh, no, I, I go. See I you, do. It's expensive, You do it so you don't go. It's expensive. So you just feel bad hour. about how much money you're spending on not, not going. I get Look, it. Look, for what I pay, you know Eddie, Eddie Frayne, who Eddie is a pain. I've told you about him. I, I could get a psychiatrist for what I pay this guy easily. Right. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I could get a, or a lawyer. I, I'll contribute to that. We've got some breaking airline news right now. Phil LeBeau joins us with the latest. Phil, what's happening? Andrew, we've got a merger between Frontier and Spirit, the two airlines, low-cost carriers, announcing that they have agreed to merge. This is a deal valued at $6.6 billion. And while they're calling this a merger of equals, make it clear here that Frontier will control 51.5% of this airline, Spirit controlling 48.5%. This works out to Spirit shareholders getting just under 2 shares of Frontier plus $2.16 for each share of Spirit, a 19% premium compared to where Spirit was trading on Friday. For Spirit, they've been aggressively growing the route network really over the last 10 years, and that growth has been fueled in the last year and a half by strong leisure demand. On the flip side, it's a similar playbook for Frontier. It has, uh, by the way, as it's expanded, it's also expanding its fleet. It'll be uh, taking delivery of 91 Airbus A321neo planes over the next couple of years. The nice thing about this deal, guys, compatible fleets, all Airbus fleets. As you take a look at the largest airlines in the U.S., we always talk about the big four controlling basically three out of every four flights in the U.S. When you go by revenue passenger miles back in 2019, really the cleanest numbers you can look at, Put Spirit and Frontier together, they become the fifth largest airline with 5.4% market share. 
take a look at shares of Spirit and Frontier and see how they're doing this morning. Really, for all the airlines, it's been a rough couple of months. But again, this is a case where Spirit shareholders will be getting a 19% premium for their shares in exchange for Frontier shares. Still to be determined, the name of the airline, who will be the CEO, the headquarters location, all of that will be worked out uh, over the months to come. Guys, on paper, this makes total sense. The real question now is whether or not the Biden administration will give its blessing to this uh, merger between Frontier and Spirit. Again, the two airlines hope to close this deal later this year. Phil, that, that's what I wanted to ask you. Do regulators allow this? Now, clearly, you know, you look at those charts and you say to yourself, they are minnows relative to the consolidation that's already happening. Correct. And maybe you need the size and scale to compete with those bigger players. And that's the argument that I imagine both Frontier and Spirit will make. At the same time, you have an administration that's becoming increasingly aggressive, or at least talking quite aggressively. And you could make an argument, I imagine, that Spirit and Frontier pull the price down and provide some of that competition. Yep, that's what they're going to argue. That is to exactly some of the what big they're players. going to argue. And so, so where, 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 where do you land in the end? I think that's the argument they're going to make. And look, for an administration that has made it clear when it comes to mergers and acquisitions, they want to see what the ultimate outcome would be, the impact would be on the consumers and what would happen for the public. I think the argument that you're going to hear from Frontier and Spirit is, look, you look at our track record. We bring down fares when we enter a market. Also, they are not dominant in any one market. They can argue that there's plenty of competition in all of the markets where they fly to. Look, one of the biggest destinations for these guys is Las Vegas. Do they dominate Las Vegas? No. Are they the biggest? No. Even after they get together, they won't be the biggest. But what you have here is a case where these two airlines say, we are completely compatible. Frontier tends to have a little bit more exposure in the Western U.S. Then you've got Spirit tends to have a little more exposure than Frontier and the Eastern U.S. as well as to the Caribbean. They look at this and on paper, they say it's a win-win. And they believe the argument about bringing costs down will be one that makes the regulator say, okay, you're good to go. Hey, Phil, um, the argument has always been, the quote's always been, you know, you're only as smart as your dumbest competitor, especially in something like the airlines. If you have fewer competitors, is that good news for all of the airlines overall because you have less chance for somebody driving down prices? Sure, that's the counter argument. I'm sure that somebody could look at some markets where Spirit and Frontier both fly there and they say it would be better to have both of them flying to a particular destination and competing with each other to bring down costs as opposed to coming together. The argument that you will hear back from Frontier and Spirit is the one that we just discussed, that they will come back and say, look, if we're together or apart, we're still bringing down the cost uh, that you see from the legacy airlines into certain markets. Yeah, I, I wasn't even using it as a, a reason to go against the merger. I just wonder if it's a reason for people to look a little more kindly at some of the other airline stocks as well. If you're going to have consolidation, probably a well, good thing overall for the industry. And, and Becky, it also, it also raises the question, Becky, will there be more consolidation within the industry? Now, it's hard to believe, given where the route maps are and given how much consolidation has already taken place, that we will see further consolidation. But whenever we've seen this in this industry, when two airlines get together, everybody else looks around and says, hey, you need a dance partner. So let's see if that uh, that happens again. Phil, thank you.
Lots of news over the weekend, some more controversy this time surrounding Joe Rogan, the podcaster. He apologized uh, for his history of using a racial slur on his show. There's a video that's out that's a compilation of me saying the N-word. Now, I know that to most people, there's no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that word, never mind publicly on a podcast. And I agree with that now. I haven't said it in years, but it's not my word to use. I'm well aware of that now. And in a late night memo to staff obtained by Axios, Spotify CEO Daniel X said the company spoke with Rogan about some of that content in his show, including his history of using some racially insensitive language and, quote, following these chats and his own reflections, Rogan chose to remove a number of episodes from Spotify. By one tally, 113 episodes of Rogan's podcast have now been removed from Spotify's platform. X said that although he strongly condemns Rogan's words, he does not believe silencing him is the answer. He said canceling voices is a slippery slope. X said he is committing $100 million, the same amount as Rogan's reported contract, to license, develop, and market audio content from creators from historically marginalized groups. Now, Spotify shares are down more than 25% this year. Of course, uh, a lot of uh, stocks in the tech growth space have come down in a meaningful way, but uh, this has been one that has been in the news for other reasons as well. Hard to uh, know where it'd be if there hadn't been any controversy uh, involving Joe Rogan. He's an important part, obviously, of Spotify, so that impacts the company's business. That's why we're talking about it. Next on Squawk Pod, short selling in the nude. While the Department of Justice digs into short sellers in the market, former SEC Chairman Jay Clayton addresses something called naked short selling and best market practices. We should be able to trace over time whether this behavior is actually occurring. And if it is occurring, the extent to which it's occurring and whether it is an accident, as some people say from time to time, or whether it is intentional. Technology should be able to help us settle this question. We'll be right back. The market doesn't joke around. So why would you get serious? Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Stand Andrew by. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe, Becky, and Andrew. Here's Andrew. The Department of Justice requesting more information from uh, about a dozen short selling firms. The firms receiving subpoenas are said to include Muddy Waters, Melvin Capital, and Citron Research. Joining us right now to discuss all of this is former SEC chairman and CBC contributor Jay Clayton. Jay, it's great to see you. You look at this investigation, and there have been a lot of people calling for it, especially in the retail community after the GameStop scenario about a year ago now. 
Is this, if you were running the SEC, is this something you, you would be doing? Um, how do you feel about short sellers? Well, short, short selling generally is an integral part of our marketplace for many reasons. Uh, but let me say what, what people may be looking at here. I think, Andrew, there, there are around four things, or let me classify it as four things. It could be alone or in combination that you would be looking at as a regulator. First of all, there's a short and distort, which is the opposite of pump and dump. You establish a short position, you release information to the public that's negative about a particular name, stock drops, uh, you reap the rewards of that stock drop. Of course, if that information is accurate, that's a benefit to the market. If the information is inaccurate, uh, that's problematic. Um, the next thing would be coordinated short selling. Short selling by a number of firms uh, to make it look like there's broad-based sentiment that the company's stock should be under pressure or is overvalued. Um, a, a third thing that is often talked about is uh, naked short selling, uh, borrowing shares to short that really don't exist. Um, and then a fourth thing that may be looked at is, are people short selling in advance of material non-public information that is negative? This type of probe could be any one of or a combination of those. Now, one of the things that folks have called for is this idea that short sellers should have to disclose when they get out of positions. Do you agree with that? Andrew, I, let me put it this way. There is a lot of debate going on right now about what should and should not be disclosed by individual participants in our marketplace. I, I am a believer that when they have large positions, um, and we have rules around this, 5% uh, as an individual or a group, um, delayed reporting uh, pursuant to 13F of positions by large money managers, that reporting on an individual basis is beneficial. Um, that said, I, I don't think that individual position reporting, in particular short position reporting, is, is a good idea. Um, and the, re the reason is, Short selling is a benefit in many ways to our marketplace. It puts information into the marketplace that wouldn't otherwise be there. Not all sentiment in the marketplace can be positive. Some has to be negative. The question is, if you had to disclose what I would say is smaller short positions, would those investors be prejudiced? And that's a very good question. I do, however, very much believe that we can improve our aggregate short sale information. How much short interest is there in the market at any one time and have that information available on a more timely basis? Jay, one of the things that's come up, especially in the last year, and this goes around GameStop and AMC, and you can see it on, on Reddit and a lot of these message boards, is the issue of naked shorting and a view among the retail community, especially that there is, I don't want to say uh, some kind of collusion, but some kind of collusion taking place. Uh, between the short sellers and potentially the banks and the market makers, and and that in fact these sh these shares that are being shorted actually don't exist. Look, that question comes up continually, and here's a here is an area where technology can help us. We now have the consolidated audit trail. We have other technologies. We should be able to trace over time whether this behavior is actually occurring and if it is occurring, the extent to which it's occurring, and whether it is um, an accident, um, uh, as some people say from time to time, or whether it is intentional. Technology should be able to help us settle this question. 
But but I guess the question is, when you were in this office sitting in the chair, could you see that information? Does the technology exist? Were you able to monitor that? And what did you see if you did? Andrew, we, we did look at this. I believe that the development of the consolidated audit trail or the CAT, which I and my colleagues very much push for, is going to help what I would say is draw a line under this over time. But, but when you see, for example, and, and I'm just using the GameStop scenario, th- there was an allegation at one point that the short interest, if you will, was 140% of the stock outstanding. Now, certain people would look at that and say, this doesn't make sense. However, I can, I can do the math and you can do the math and explain why that is the case. But I'm not sure the public. So part of it is how much of this is a public misunderstanding and how much of this is actually something uh, nefarious that's taking place underneath the surface? I, I think there's a large element of public misunderstanding because you and I both know, and we've gone over the math uh, on the program, that you can have a 150% short interest without having naked shorting. And, and the, But that goes to, I mean, one of the reasons why this investigation seems to be even happening, I think, is a function of the the vocal nature of so many people on these message boards coming to the SEC on this, no? Look, you make a very good point. Whistleblowers, others come to the SEC, they come to the DOJ, and the SEC and the DOJ, they take these allegations seriously and they run them to ground. So we will see, but what I wanted to explain is there are a number of misconceptions about the role and what I would say is technicals of short selling. But I think that given the general noise around this, it is important to run them to ground. Um, Final question for you, Jane. It's really just maybe a philosophical slash policy question. Um, You know, after the financial crisis of 2008, the public, if you will, the retail public actually seemed to like short sellers, it seemed, because there were some that were exposing things. They were making, you know, they, they were coming forward and they were sort of seen as heroes in, in, in certain ways, right? If, if you can think of some of the people that were characters in the big short. This is all reversed in this cycle. And I'm wondering what you make of that. Well, Andrew, once again, you make a terrific historical point, which is, you know, where, where, you're, where you have pressure to regulate depends on the issues of the day. And you have to think about these things in historical context. What you just identified with, whether it's Madoff or or others or Enron, the value that short sellers, that people who pour over companies to find out if they're overvalued or um, what I would say even going to fraud in those cases, stating their earnings and the like, is extremely high to the marketplace. I mean, the, the marketplace has people who all the time believe stocks are under or overvalued. And short sellers, I believe, provide a great benefit to our marketplace. Jake Clayton, it's always good to see you. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Andrew. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, a year and a half after companies pledged to prioritize diversity and inclusion, including disclosing their workforce diversity metrics, Just Capital is holding them to it. The firm's director of corporate equity, Ashley Marchand-Orme. There's a correlation between companies that actually are transparent about their workforce diversity data. We see a performance increase of 6%. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. Welcome back to Squawk Box. In the wake of George Floyd's tragic death, corporations have pledged more than $50 billion towards advancing racial equity. This morning, Just Capital's out with some new data on the progress of America's largest companies towards the cause. It specifically looks at how transparent corporations are in disclosing diversity data among their own workforce. And joining us right now to discuss all this is Just Capital Director of Corporate Equity, Ashley Marsha Sham. Um, Ashley, just uh, in terms of looking at this tracking, you've now looked at this over the last uh, nine months. What have you found? And, and does the, do the words match really the actions? Well, it's a great question. And our analysis at Just Capital found some encouraging news and some room for growth. So the encouraging news is that now more than half of the Russell 1000 actually disclose some form of race and ethnic data about their workforce. Now that's up 23 percentage points from the last time we looked at this data. So that's good news. More companies are disclosing. But only about 11% of companies actually disclose that more detailed intersectional diversity data that layers on the additional job category with what they disclose, similar to what's in the EEO1 reports that companies already report to the EEOC. So definitely have seen some improvement, but there's certainly room to grow in terms of how detailed those disclosures are. Ashley, you just said something that I, I was not aware of. These companies are already disclosing this information to the EEOC, but don't therefore do it also publicly at the same time. And could you effectively get access to those numbers that are delivered to the EEOC then? That's a great question. And this is why investors and other stakeholders really like those EEO1 reports that I mentioned. So companies that have over 100 employees already have to report to the EEOC about their workforce's diversity. So this includes data about gender, race and ethnicity, job category. And this isn't the information that investors want to see more of. Companies are already collecting it. So the the lift to actually provide this information is relatively low. It's just a matter of these companies making this data more public. In terms of companies that have said they were going to do something and then haven't, or said they were going to do something and did, is it worth highlighting the distinction? It is worth highlighting. And I, I think the important thing to remember, remember here is that, as you said, when we opened, we're a year and a half out from a period in which corporate America made some very public statements about the commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what we're seeing now is that stakeholders, investors, others, companies like Just Capital are actually looking at the data to say, companies, you've made these commitments. 
are you opening yourself up to the um, the conversation by actually being transparent about where you stand now? I think sometimes where companies get stuck is in wanting to ensure that when they tell the story that they've got the, the entire story from beginning to end with a nice, um, happy ending. And right now, the pub public is basically saying, we just want to be part of the conversation. And that's where the importance of, right. of just releasing this data Actually, comes in. But, but, but let's be very clear. The reason why this data is valuable is not just the, the, the social issues and, and, and potential social and political pressures on companies today. It's that investors are saying that they want that as a metric in terms of their investment thesis. And you have folks like BlackRock and a number of other big funds using this data I'm sure you'll build even new ETFs and other things so that investors effectively can make, I don't want to say bets, but bets based on companies using this information. The question I would ask is how critical when you've done the math in terms of performance that this piece, how important is this piece in the overall matrix of quote unquote ESG? And, and if we don't know yet, how long do you think it'll take? to actually know whether there really is a distinction in the performance? Well, we, we do actually know some of this. So that's the good news. And um, you know, there's a, a correlation between companies that actually are transparent about their workforce diversity data, specifically this, um, this you know, workforce diversity data. We see a, see a performance increase of 6% when we compare companies that do report this kind of data to companies that do not. Um, so that's there. I think investors have seen that this is material to companies. That's why we've seen so many large institutional investors like BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street really hone in on these numbers. The New York City Comptroller's Office also is, has been pressuring companies to release this EEO1 data because they understand there are risks inherent for companies that do not prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's why they want to see these dis disclosures. Ashley, I want to thank you this morning. Uh, it's uh, fascinating information, and uh, people can go check out uh, that report at Just Capital. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. If you want even more from our anchors, check out our Twitter, at Squawk CNBC. Some Pebble Beach Pro-Am, Bill Murray golfing content is waiting for you on our feed. That was pretty amazing. I, actually, Joe, would you ever, I mean, the idea that anybody would take a shot like that in a tournament, how many times has he played this? And of course, make sure to follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.